You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. tuned in to get positive results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. Did your mother ever tell you that if you swallowed gum, it would stay in your stomach forever? Did you ever hear that lightning never strikes the same place twice? And one of the most popular, if you drop food on the floor, as long as you pick it up within those five precious seconds, it's perfectly safe to eat. What do these things have in common? They're all myths. They're not true. These are things that people used to think were gospel. But as we learn more about everything, they were proven false. There are tons of myths about dogs, too. And that's what I'll be exploring today on Get Positive Results when we come back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Yodi Anderson. Today, I'm going to be exploring the mysteries of dogdom. Yes, these myths that are still lurking around every corner that people choose to believe and pass on to their friends, but they're not true. So today, you're going to be getting the scoop on the real deal. I want to thank my folks on my Facebook page for contributing. I put the question out there, what are some of the common dog myths that are still lurking out there that drive you crazy? And people were fantastic. They gave me some great suggestions. I'll be sharing some of them with you today. Suzanne offered a really good one. She was talking about tail wagging in dogs. She writes, tail wagging is not always a happy thing. People never get that. And she's so right. I do bite prevention programs for children and adults for that matter. And one of the things I cover is that just because a dog is wagging his tail does not mean that he's friendly. I remember hearing that when I was a little girl. Oh, if he wags his tail, he's friendly. Well, it's not true. A dog could be wagging his tail furiously while he's taking a chunk out of your leg. Tail wagging is a sign of excitement and arousal in dogs. It is not necessarily a sign of friendliness. So let's write that one off right off the bat. Just because a dog is wagging his tail does not mean that he's friendly, doesn't mean that the dog is happy to see you. So don't go pet that dog unless you've got some more information. Speaking of petting dogs, here's a common one too, that all dogs like to be petted on their heads. Nope. Not true at all. When you pat a dog on a head, it's a very assertive gesture in canine language. Think of it as you going to a party 
and a very forward guy comes right up in your personal space and he's talking right nose to nose to you and he's like grabbing you by the shoulders and saying hello or giving you a big hug. This might make you feel really uncomfortable if you've never met this guy before. Well, when you pet a dog on the head, it's kind of a forward gesture. And while some dogs could care less, you can thunk them on the head all day and they love it, a lot of dogs are offended. It's like you grabbing them and hugging them without introducing yourself first. They just don't like it. You see these dogs often duck or they'll try to escape the hand. It's because they don't like being petted on the head. So it really depends on the dog, but a lot of dogs do find that to be an offensive gesture. Another really good one that came in on the Facebook page was from Sandy, and she wrote, Dogs should work it out for themselves. I still hear this all the time, even as given as advice from other trainers. And it frightens me because if you allow dogs to work it out, and by that we mean dogs that are having conflict, maybe a new dog coming into the home, or you're introducing a combined family for the first time and the dogs are having a bit of a spat, if you allow them to work it out for themselves, it's a really excellent way for one of them or both of them or more to end up in the veterinary emergency room. Dogs don't always make good choices. It's up to the humans to make choices. It's up to the humans to set boundaries. It's up to the humans to teach dogs what we want of them and what we expect of them. We can't expect them to sit down at the parlay table and negotiate treaties. It doesn't work that way. Some dogs are really good at it. Don't get me wrong. Some dogs are really good at making new friends and working things out and sharing. Other dogs, not so much. They don't like to share. They don't want to share. They have no interest in sharing. They have no interest in being with another dog. They may not like another dog. And sometimes this can lead to bloodshed. I work with aggression cases and I've been called in on cases where one or more of the animals has ended up in the veterinary emergency room and we've got stitches and we've got the cones of shame and we've got distraught people because the dogs were allowed to work it out for themselves. So please don't ever let that happen. If you are having conflicts with your dogs, it is much better to get an early start on that, get a jump on it now, hire a qualified reward-based professional to come help you. Don't muck it up by playing around with it on your own if you don't know what you're doing and don't wait a lot of times when I'm called in it's after there's bloodshed I want to be called in when the dogs are first growling at each other or they're first giving each other the stink eye from across the room that's when you call in the professional don't wait because it won't go away on its own and that's another myth that's kind of related to that is aggression and fear in dogs will just go away the dog will outgrow them he'll just overcome it somehow no, it doesn't work that way at all. And those are the sad cases that I have to take where a dog started out with some initial signs of aggression that the people were able to recognize, but they thought the dog would get over it or they thought the dog would outgrow it or whatever this myth is that is pervasive. And the dog increasingly gets worse. Always know when it comes to a health problem with your dog or a behavior problem with your dog, the earlier you get someone in there to help you, the much better chance of a good outcome for that. So don't let dogs work it out for themselves. And aggression doesn't go away on its own. It gets worse, especially if you're accidentally contributing to it. That could make it much worse. So a canine professional who knows what they're doing can absolutely help you. A lot of aggression is based in fear. And another really good suggestion came in from Natalie. And she said, dog in distress, show them it isn't scary by pushing them past their comfort level and refusing to let them leave until they like it. This happens all the time. Perhaps a dog is afraid of children. 
So somebody invites a bunch of children over and then forcibly puts the dog in one of the child's laps or lets the child pick the dog up and tote it around thinking that the dog will get over it. The dog will be fine once it gets used to these wonderful children. Well, the children could be absolutely precious, loving, caring, nurturing children, but they're not going to be the ones to help a dog get over its fear. You have to help that dog with a set protocol of desensitization and counter conditioning. And and there's formal ways to do this. People just don't get over their fear. Trust me, trust me and spiders. I'll go after them if I have to. If I am not defended because my dogs that I have now are useless in help defending me against spiders, but I'm still scared of them. I know it makes no sense, but fear makes no sense. Fear is not logical. And so when you force a dog to confront his fear, this can backfire on you in a lot of different ways. You've heard me talk about socialization. If you're one of my frequent listeners, you know that I'm not a big fan of flooding where you force a dog to confront its fear. It can backfire in that the dog is now even more afraid than before. And also the dog doesn't trust you anymore. The dog trusted you to take care of him and you forcibly released him to the monsters. So I see this time and time again. People think the dog's not socialized. It's not really good with people. So let's take it to a downtown festival. No, that is the worst thing you can do because the dog is going to be over threshold. By that, we mean the dog is going to be completely drowning in the things that make it frightened. If you are scared of snakes, do you want to be locked in a room that's full of snakes? No, that's not making you happy. This doesn't make our dogs happy either. If the dog is afraid of the vacuum cleaner, do you tie him to the vacuum cleaner? No, he's going to freak out. That's not good. So never force a dog to confront his fear. Thank you, Natalie, for that great suggestion. I'm going to move from fear to alleged guilt now. Crystal gave me a wonderful suggestion. She wrote, my dog knows when he's done something wrong while I've been gone all day. He looks guilty. I can see why people fall for this because the dog does look guilty sometimes, right? You come home and the trash can is upended in the kitchen and there's a mess all over the kitchen. Last night's remains of pork chop dinner are all gone and your dog has his ears down and he's avoiding your eye contact. Maybe his tail is tucked. He's whining a little bit or backing away from you. He looks guilty. So I totally get it. But that's actually been proven to be false. That is a myth. Most dogs who react that way are reacting to your reaction. Now remember, they watch us a lot better than we watch them. They're very in tune. So you walk into the kitchen and you see this mess. You've got chemicals flooding through your body. You're getting angry. You've got stress hormones all through you. And your dog is reacting to that. Some people say, well, I never even made it to the kitchen, Teodi. He looked guilty when I got to the door. And that's how I knew something was up. Well... Maybe in the past, your dog has done something, and when you came home, he associated it with your reaction. Just because a dog is acting fearful doesn't mean that he's guilty. He's probably predicting what you're going to react like. He's not necessarily associating it with the pork chop that he stole out of the trash can, or the couch that he ate, or whatever he destroyed, or if he pottied in the house when he shouldn't have. They're just not wired that way. They're just not. So please don't make the mistake of thinking that your dog knows what he did something wrong. People do this all the time. They'll attribute stubbornness. And you've heard me talk about this one before too. My dog's being stubborn. Well, dogs aren't stubborn. Dogs are not capable of masterminding ways to take over your life. They live for the moment. They eat sticks. 
they roll in stinky things. Do you really think that these are masterminds of the whole world? Not thinking so. I love dogs. I make my living with dogs. I can't imagine sharing my life without dogs. But Machiavellian dictator wannabes? Yeah, not going to happen. They're not capable of it. Cats, maybe. Dogs, no. No. They live for right now. Absolutely in the moment right now. And dogs are not stubborn. There are lots of reasons why dogs don't do what you want them to do. One is you have unrealistic expectations. Two, you haven't trained them in terms that they can understand. Three, there's environmental interference. Four, there's fear going on. The dog is afraid, so he's not going to comply because he's actually afraid. He's incapable of complying with you. Or five, there's a physical problem. I got hundreds of those stories. I may devote an entire show to stories where people attributed behavior to dogs that was really physically based. That would be a good show. But a quick example would be a dog that won't eat. And before thinking the dog might be sick, People thought, well, he's just not eating because he doesn't like this food, even though this food is healthy for him. And he's being picky and he wants me to give me table scraps. They come up with all sorts of things. And in actuality, the dog has a raging ulcer and he doesn't eat because he doesn't feel good. I got lots of those stories. So please don't assume a dog is stubborn. Don't ever assume that because it's not true. And don't assume that he knows when he does something wrong. We love to attribute these human foils to dogs. People will tell me, well, I was working late. I was on a big project. And I was away from home a long time and my dog got spiteful and he went and peed on my bed. Your dog was not spiteful. Your bed smells the most like you. And when a dog's routine is upended, he gets stressed. Dogs love routines. That's why daylight savings time messes them up because you didn't feed them on time, right? That's when they start staring at you an hour earlier. Or they're delighted when you feed them what they perceive to be an hour earlier, depending on which way we're falling back or springing ahead on the daylight savings times. For those of us who do have to do that. I envy you Arizona. That doesn't. But people assume that the dog is being spiteful. Well, your bed has a ton of your scent in it. You sleep there. It's very concentrated. And if your dog is stressed, he's going to go to a place where he feels comforted, which is your bed. When dogs are stressed, they can eliminate. They pee. It's a stress response, not a spite response. Myth, myth, myth. Remove them from your vocabulary. They're not being spiteful. They're definitely not being stubborn. Here's another fun one. A dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's. Oh, heck no. No. While there are lots of germs in a dog's mouth that are very dog specific and they may not hurt you. Have you seen what they lick? Have you seen what they eat? That stuff is not clean. And it is not cleaner than your mouth. So no. Now, do I let dogs kiss me on the face? Yes, I do. I don't have a problem with that. Not everybody likes it. But yes, I let them kiss me. I don't have a problem with that. I know, though, that that mouth is not cleaner than mine. Another one really good myth that Jay contributed was socializing dogs is easy. Just bring them to the dog park. This kind of falls in line with what I was talking about earlier. That if your dog is afraid of something, bring it to a big social gathering. And that will get the dog right over it. He'll get used to it. He'll, get, he'll, he'll, he'll acclimate to this. People think that dog parks are for socializing dogs. Dog parks are great for dogs that are already social. They're great for dogs, especially adolescents, that have a ton of energy, that they already like other dogs, they're already good with other dogs. 
Dog parks are not for socialization. That's why I never recommend taking a puppy to a dog park. It's the worst place you can go because you can't control all the other dogs in the park. You can't control what that puppy's interaction is. And if you do it during a critical socialization period, that puppy could have negative consequences against it for life. There are bullies at dog parks, <laughs> people and dogs, but there's just bad influences in a dog park. They can be great places. They can be bad places depending on the dogs and the people in them. And if you can't control that environment, you are setting your puppy up to fail. Socialization is really critical and it has to be done right, or you'll be accomplishing the exact opposite of what you wanted to do. You want your dog to be confident and social and get along with people and other dogs. And taking him to a dog park in order to do that is not the way to do it. You could be actually undoing any kind of work you've put into it so far. Dog parks can be fun, great places for dogs that are already social. They are not for socialization. Moving in a completely different direction now. Natalie also contributed one for deaf dogs. She said she'd like to see some positive attention paid to deaf dogs. A common myth about deaf dogs is that they'll turn on you if they're startled because they can't hear. They're just jumpy little creatures that are completely leaping in horror at everything around them. And there's no evidence that proves that. There's no scientific evidence that proves that. Is it true that you can startle a deaf dog? Yes. You can also startle any dog. Are they more likely to be startled because they can't hear? Perhaps. But that doesn't mean they're going to turn aggressive on you because of that. Plus, you could teach them not to be as startled. You can you could absolutely use training to make them like being tapped on the rear end. Hello, trying to get your attention or touched on the shoulder or touched on the head or coming up behind them. You can absolutely use training to, to negate that. But there's no evidence or proof that shows that deaf dogs are going to just turn on you and be all these aggressive, nasty dogs simply because of their deafness. Remember, especially if they were born deaf, that's all they've ever known. They're kind of used to it. Dogs adapt so much better than people do to disabilities. I had a three-legged dog for many years, and he didn't know he had three legs. He ran around like any typical Labrador. We paid for it later as he developed arthritis, but it didn't slow him down at all. I've known lots of dogs who grow blind, especially as they get older, and they're fine. They run into things at first, but there's ways to help them adapt, and they go through life just fine. They have, you know, some adjustment period, of course, but they're okay. Deaf dogs, born deaf. I do do find that a lot of deaf dogs can bark really loud because they don't know the volume of their voice. But I, that's a personal anecdote. Can't, can't say there's a study on that either. But I don't think that there is a scientific proof that dogs, just because they're deaf, are going to turn on you. Dogs also are not colorblind. Did you know that? A lot of people, there's a myth. Dogs are colorblind. Well, recent studies show that dogs can see blues, yellows, greens, and some shades of gray. How they tested that, I'm not really sure. Something to do with the cone and the rod and the eye. But we used to think that dogs were completely colorblind. It's not true. Not true. The more we learn, the more we can bust some of these myths. So are you ready for the next one? Here's a statement. Tell me if it's true or false. Dogs are sick if their noses are warm. Is that a myth? Is it a trick question? Find out when we come back. You're listening to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, 
front paw sleeves and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo! Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. So, before we had the break, I asked, is this a true statement? Dogs are sick if their noses are warm. Not true. Of course it's not true. This is an entire show about myths. Of course you were with me. It's not true. The only accurate way to tell if a dog has a temperature is to take his temperature. By the way, normal temperature for a dog is about 101 degrees. But you cannot tell. Some dogs have little warm noses and they can be dry too. It's not necessarily that they have to be wet. Wet and cold. If it's warm and dry, they could be absolutely fine. Just depends on the dog. Depends on what's going on around the dog. I had a couple people write in on the Facebook page about bully breeds. And when it comes to myths, I don't know if there is any other group of dog that have a greater stack of myths against them than bully breeds. Again, if you're a frequent listener, you know how I feel about those dogs. I love them. But love aside, let's look at truth. There's myth and then there's facts. As a great statement goes, you have a right to your opinion. You don't have a right to facts, your own facts. So a couple ones that people contributed, Carrie just mentioned BSL, which is breed-specific legislation, and that's legislation that says that specific breeds are more likely to be dangerous than others, so we're just going to get rid of them in our county or city or, or, or town limits. Alyssa wrote one that, that all bully breeds are bad dogs, and so many people believe that. Oh, that's a pit bull. Oh, he's evil. No, they're not. Pipples can be very dangerous. So can Chihuahuas, so can Dachshunds, so can Rottweilers, so can Nova Scotia duck tolling retrievers. Behavior is what we judge, not the breed. You have to judge the behavior of the dog and the behavior of the dog's owners, not just the dog. So it is not true. There are no facts to support that all bully breeds are bad dogs. In fact, you see them as therapy dogs. You see them as narcotics dogs. You see them working for the police departments. You see them working in avalanche rescue. You see them doing these wonderful, wonderful things. And you see them as pets. For all the dogs that you hear of on the media that had something bad happen around it or that it did something bad... What about all the family dogs sitting around on a couch that have done nothing that you never hear about because they don't make the news? There's lots of dogs out there. So don't let that media perspective sway you. A couple more myths about pit bulls that crack me up is that their jaws can lock. They have the jaws of death and they will lock. And Yeah, that's not true. Not true. They can't lock their jaws any more than any other dog can lock its jaw. They can't. And this is physiologically based. They've studied the bone structure and it doesn't lock. Do they have strong jaws? Yes, they do. But did you know they don't have the strong guest jaws? 
Another myth about pit bulls or American pit bull terriers is that they have more bite pressure per square inch, that's PSI measurement, than other dogs, that they have the strongest bite per dog. Not true. Dr. Brady Barr of National Geographic did a test, and he tested bite forces in German Shepherds, Rottweilers, and American Pit Bull Terriers. Guess who came in last of those three? The Pits. They came in last. You think about those German Shepherds with those long, narrow noses, you wouldn't think they'd be as strong. But in his test, Dr. Brady Barr got a doctor in front of his name. Pit Bulls came in last. So they can't lock their jaws, and they don't have more bite pressure per square inch than other dogs. By the way, I think a hyena has about 1,000 PSI, whereas the average shepherd came in about 320. So I think we have more to worry about hyenas. I'd be kind of worried about that now that I I saw that little tidbit. Another big common one, not about necessarily pit bulls, but dogs in general, came in from Jen, is that if you pet or treat a scared dog, you're reinforcing fear. We used to think this. I used to think this. This is what I was told by experts back in the day, and I'm hearing a lot differently now. Fear is an emotion, not a behavior. Behavior can be increased by rewarding it. It can be reduced by punishing it, but you can't deal with emotions the same way. If a dog is frightened and comes to you for comfort, it's okay to comfort it. Should you make a huge deal about it and get all stressed yourself? No, that might make it worse, but it's perfectly fine to comfort a frightened dog. The dog is trusting you to help take care of it. You're not going to coddle it. You're not going to ruin it. You're not going to teach it to fake being afraid. I'm going to have trainers who disagree with me still on that, but I'm going to hold to that. I I like the current stuff that I'm hearing from Dr. Patricia McConnell. A lot of experts in our field are saying that that is just not true. Fear is an emotion, not a behavior. And the more I think about it, the more that sits with how I feel about it as well. That's the problem with myths, though. They speak to different parts of us other than our brain. It speaks to the fear thing. For example, you can tell that I'm not giving you an entire show based on spider myths, because I would probably believe every single one of them. Really not a fan. And for all my spider fans out there, I'm sorry. It's just a thing with me. I did see a wonderful presentation once on a tarantula. It was really well done, and this woman took tarantulas in schools to teach children about myths and fears and how to confront them. It was a great program. So so I am capable of learning, just like hopefully other people are capable of learning about dog myths. But I don't want to digress about spiders because I'll have nightmares tonight. Instead, we're going to go back to dogs. Another really good myth that Jay contributed was, my dog will never harm my child. And this one can be the source of a tragedy. You go out on YouTube and you see all these kids climbing over dogs or you see these dogs having to put up with all this behavior. And sometimes I've gone into homes and I've seen the canine interacting with the children and I'll warn the people. And the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, he would never hurt. That's a dangerous myth because all dogs have teeth and all dogs are capable of biting. And you can't allow that myth to cloud what's in front of you and accepting the truth about what the behavior is telling you. I said, we can't judge a breed, but you can judge behavior. And a dog is going to tell you if he's going to bite. He's going to give you those clues. And if you ignore them, it's very, very, very dangerous. Children are so easily hurt by dogs because they're little and some of the dogs are bigger or they're the same size as, as your child. And you don't want to ever assume that. We would hope that that's the case, but there are things that you can do to ensure and to work with your children and to work with the dogs so that they get along well and that appropriate play on both sides is there. But don't ever assume that, oh, my dog would never hurt because those are the people that end up regretting it the most because they thought it would never happen. Let's bust that myth right now. When I asked on my Facebook page, 
what myths really drive you crazy. I think the biggest one that got the response, and I had a bunch of people chiming in on this. So I'm going to give a shout out to Catherine and Katrina and Amy and Elizabeth and Maya and Jay. They all contributed and others to this one about dominance and pack stuff. And as a modern trainer, this stuff does hit home for me as well. People think that dogs are pack animals. Well, there's some modern research that shows they're not necessarily pack animals at all. There are a lot of dogs that while they'll group up for a food source or for mating, other than that, they want to be left alone. Dominance is not a personality trait. And I'm going to give you the formal definition of dominance because people attribute dominance to everything. Oh, he put his paw on me. He's trying to dominate me. Oh, he's chasing shadows. He's trying to dominate the light. No, that makes no sense. But the myth is pervasive. So here's the official definition. Dominance is defined in animal behavior as a relationship between individuals that is established by force, aggression, and submission in order to determine who has priority access to multiple resources, such as food, preferred resting spots, and access to mates. When two dogs fight over bone, dominance. If they're fighting over their favorite bed, that could be dominance. But most of the time, it's not. It's not. And if the dog looks you in the eye, it's not dominance. If he tries to get in your lap, it's not dominance. If he wants to stare at you while you're eating potato chips, it's not dominance. People just started slapping that label on everything. It got to be comical. It is comical because it's just not true. A lot of this thing came from, I think the myth was was founded in wolf theory and that dogs are just wolves that live in our living rooms and they're not. I've spent time at Wolf Park, great facility in Battleground, Indiana, and they're really good at busting the myths, the differences and the similarities between wolves and dogs. First of all, submissive behavior in wolves is volunteered, not demanded. If a wolf is being submissive to another wolf, he voluntarily submits. He will roll over this whole alpha role business where you have to flip the dog over and stare in its eyes to assert yourself as a leader is ridiculous. Dogs know you're not other dogs. They know you're not a wolf. You have opposable thumbs. You're the one who can open the pantry. They know you're not another dog. They're not that stupid. Sure, every now and then they'll get a huge stick and not be able to go through a doorway because the stick is too big. But they're not stupid enough to know, to think that we're wolves or dogs. They're just not. So please don't fall for that myth. An alpha roll is a good way to get you bitten. It is a good way to frighten your dog so that he doesn't trust you. It will not teach your dog what you want him to do. It's not going to necessarily change behavior that you're looking for. If the dog pees in the house and you alpha roll him, not going to stop him from peeing in the house. What it might do is teach him to go pee in your closet because he's hiding from you now. Oops, didn't mean to teach that. Don't believe this dominance pack stuff. It's not. You can be a leader in your house without being a dictator. You don't have to eat before the dog eats. You don't have to go through the door before the dog goes through. All that stuff is just not relevant. It's not true. So be careful. Sometimes in some training circles, dog trainer circles, it's gone so far that people don't like to use the D word anymore. They call it the D word. We're not going to call anything dominance. And I think that's a bit too far. Dominance does exist. It's extremely rare. And it, it's not an accurate label for every behavior that your dog does, but it does exist. But don't think that everything your dog does is based on dominance. It's still out there. It's certainly on television. So uh, we're going to change that channel if you see it. Plus, the American Society for Veterinary Behaviorists, Veterinary Animal Behaviorists, recommends that you do not use trainers that follow dominance theory. That's modern. That's science. Those are These are vets talking to us. And so... If they're telling you that this needs to be debunked, please come with us on that. 
one of the common problems with this is that people think they have to alpha roll the dog or scruff the dog because that's how the mother dogs teach their puppies. So that's why we use these harsh collars that cause pain to dogs. Again, your dog knows you're not a dog. He knows you're not a wolf. It's really not relevant. So kick the myth of dominance to the curb. I'm going to end this with my favorite, favorite, favorite myth. At least my favorite one so far. Surely I'll probably hear, you know, another one. And hopefully you'll share some with me so we can have a sequel to this if you hear some other good ones that you think would deserve a chat. But one of my favorite myths is that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Ha! That is such a joke. I am not a spring chicken. I know I look like it, but I'm really not a spring chicken. I learn something new every day. Don't we all? At least we try to. Or we feel good when we do. Hopefully maybe you learned something from this show. It is never too late to teach an old dog new tricks. I once had an 11-year-old golden retriever come through class. That dog rocked it, rocked the class, put all the puppies to shame, and had the best time doing it. Learned all sorts of new things at 11. And 11 for a golden? That We're looking at frosted face there. We're looking at an older dog. It was awesome. It is never too late. Is it better to start training your dog as a puppy? Yes, but it's never too late. It's never late to train a dog, an older dog, new tricks. Just as we hopefully learn new things all our lives, so can your dogs. So take that myth out to the trash where it belongs. And if you do hear of any other good myths that we didn't cover today, by all means, write me. You can reach me at teoti, T-E-O-T-I, at PetLifeRadio.com. Find me on the Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Anderson. The website is GetPositiveResults.com. Thank you again for tuning in. Thanks to my producers for making the show possible. And I hope you'll tune in again to get positive results on Pet Life Radio. This has been Teodi Anderson. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.